0: What is up, my friends? Welcome to and Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast where I interview incredible fathers gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 9 to 16, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 18th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, the adventure of fatherhood, and I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. I believe the role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is a childhood hero of mine. As I skateboarded growing up, he was the skateboarder that influenced me the most. Enjoy meeting Jamie Thomas and learning more about him as a father, a husband, and a man. If you'd like to watch this episode, you can do so on YouTube. We recorded it as a special edition in the Zero headquarters in San Diego. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Welcome to a special edition of Fatherhood Field Notes. I am beyond excited to be sitting down with a childhood hero of mine, Jamie Thomas. Jamie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, We've got to connect a couple times, and I'm really looking forward to be able to record a conversation with you on Fatherhood. So thanks for being here. My pleasure. Yeah, so, you know, growing up in skateboarding, most of us um, have just been influenced by your power, by your relentless pursuit of, of I would say, authenticity, um, and it's inspiring. And so, to be able to, you know, know your story and to kind of go deeper right? Because you're a human, you're a man, you're a husband, you're a father. Uh, There's more to uh, than just the pictures we see in a magazine or the videos we might watch. Um, There's depth to that. That's really made you uh, that powerhouse to be able to be the guy that we've all looked up to. You know, it's funny. So after, you know, 30 years of watching you be a skateboarder, uh, when I share with with a dad, you know, that, Hey, I guess who I'm doing a podcast with, um, the way they light up. It's fun to see, you know, a 38 year old guy get excited, uh, about something. Um, so I know that the conversation that we're going to have, um, will have a lot of influence. And I know that there's a lot of pressure to that sometimes because, you know, as you and I both know, we're not sitting here saying, "Ah, oh, we're perfect dads. We figured it out, uh, probably far from in a lot of instances, uh, but we've entered into the role. Like we've accepted this is a role, and so that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, so to kick it off, though, I would like to point out a few milestones that people may not be aware of. I'm going to ask you some questions around it. So as we sit here today in zero headquarters, your company has celebrated its 25th year in business. Uh, you are 47 now, and uh, when you turn 47, you did 47 tricks at the barracks, which shows uh, like you're committed to skateboarding, right? You're still out there doing it. It's not just about something I used to do. Um, and then, you know, the one that really hits home for me is you've been married for 25 years, you know, and then you have three teenagers who you've, you've just continued to dive into be a dad for, you know? So when I think about that 25 years in business, 25 years marriage, uh, you know, 30 years skateboarding consistent, um, and then being a dad, I think that as men, we would really be proud um, to say any of those statements. Um, But I know that when you say the statement, you know, it's like I could put it up and say this is a trophy. Twenty five years in marriage. We don't always see everything that came with that. But when I make those statements and point out those milestones, um, what do you think about? What does that make you feel?
1: Well, to be honest, I'm I just feel very thankful Mm -hmm. that that you're talking about me. I feel like I'm, I'm thankful that I, you know, have run the company for the time that I have. And zero is 25 years and going strong still. Um, I'm thankful for that. And i um, so grateful for, you know, the relationship with my wife and where we are right now. And, um, we've been in a rebuilding phase for a while and it's, it's been, um, very engaging and just, you know, such a blessing to be, you know, in a relationship with a loving woman for that long Mm -hmm. is, um, it's really had several iterations. It's almost been, you know, four or five different relationships inside the same relationship. So we were kids when we got together, you know, um, my wife was 19 and I was 22 when we got married. So, um, yeah, we did a lot of growing up. Yeah. We didn't know what we were doing. (laughs) Um, but you know, it was, we felt it was God's plan for us and, um, we were both believers at the time. And, um, we felt like it was the right thing to do, and so we've been on this journey, and you know, I feel like God's had his hand on our life and um, some we've been able to overcome some pretty amazing obstacles together. I love the way you
0: lean into gratitude you know, so when I asked the question, you went right to gratitude and as you were talking, I was thinking you know when you're thankful, when you're in like a posture or position of thankfulness, then you're basically going. I didn't do all this, right? Like I'm thankful because I know the work it took, but there's something else out there that's helping to make this all possible. And that's, that's hard, right? Because when we look at our trophies, sometimes it's like, oh man, yeah, look at what I did. And there's definitely a difference there to, to have a a, a tone of uh, gratitude towards these milestones, you know?
1: Yeah. I feel, I feel that um, I've had, you know, serious runs of pride where I felt like I did do things. And this was because of my great work. And I felt like every time I leaned into pride, Hmm. um, I put it in the ditch. I like basically it, it got the best of me and it put me in a place where, you know, I wasn't humble and I wasn't grateful and I wasn't thankful. And then I started, um, I don't know, kind of turning things into how does this serve me? you know, rather than how can I be here um, Hmm. and show up and be the best version of myself for these people I care about or the brand I care about. Um, I also think that, you know, one thing I didn't really tie into, or I didn't really hear you mention was basically the reason I've been in these roles for so long is because I've taken great identity in these roles. Hmm. You know, um, I take great identity or I took great identity and being a professional skateboarder for a lot of my life And I took great identity and running zero and, and keeping it going. And, you know, we'll fight for the things that we take identity in, Mm -hmm. you know, and I take identity and being a husband and that's, it's gone through different phases where, you know, there was times where I didn't feel cut out for it or I didn't feel up for it. yeah Um, You know, but, but continuing on that journey and um, you know, fighting for the relationship or, you know, vice versa, my wife fighting for the relationship. You know, yeah. a lot of people say you fall in and out of love several times throughout your relationship. Mm. It's just, you hope you never fall out of love at the same time. And I feel like that's, you know, that's where God's had a hand on our life. And one of us has always been fighting for the relationship. And I'm very thankful now that we're both fighting for the relationship and we're, you know, we're nurturing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's really important for guys to hear that. Like, are you fighting for your relationship and, and realizing too, you know, I've never heard it said you'll fall in and out of love a few times, but like, are you going to fight for that? Um, and I think a lot of times we, we don't think it's possible maybe. And so when I, you know, when we say these milestones, I know it's easy for us to go, man, you've been so consistent and you're so disciplined. And that's true. Some of it comes from, you know, maybe falling too much into the pride of identity, like I'm identifying in this, but there's still this thing I've kind of heard you talk about is every day's a new day. And so maybe you could talk about that for a minute is you've had a conviction, okay, whether you've had a conviction that tomorrow I'm going to try again, whether it's, you know, <laughs> skateboarding or your marriage, where does that conviction come from that I'm going to learn from yesterday's fall? And I'm going to get up today and today's new.
1: I mean, I think that the, <clears throat> the metaphor you just used is the perfect example. I think I learned the, the um, importance of trying again through skateboarding. Mm. I think skateboarding, you fail so much. Right. I mean, like to learn how to kickflip, it takes you a year of failing. Mm-hmm. So you start to build a level of resilience and a level of optimism and hope for the future in just a single trick, the most basic trick. I mean, maybe the Ollie's more basic, but the kickflip was like the holy grail when you're a little kid. You want to learn to kickflip. You're not a real skateboarder until you can kickflip is what it felt like for me. And I just remember how difficult it was to learn how to kickflip. And that's just the first trick. Like, you know, every trick after that, I just spent days, weeks, months trying to learn how to do these tricks. And my point is, is that while I'm trying to learn how to do it, I'm failing hundreds and hundreds of times. And so I think getting used to understanding that life is hard and that skateboarding is hard and that relationships are hard and that, you know, work, anything worth anything is difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to put in the time. And if you don't know how to do it, all you can do is try and get help. You know, and I spent some, and and that's kind of going back to the pride. Like, I feel like when I was in prideful phases of my life or my career, I wasn't seeking mentorship. I wasn't looking for how can I get better at this and how can I see this from a different perspective? I was like, I know this, I've done this, I should be able to work my way out of this. And that was just a lack of modeling for me growing up is that I didn't have someone helping me figure out how to work through those types of issues and problems or to look for mentorship that wasn't modeled to me. So I didn't know that that's what I needed to do. And it wasn't until midlife, really, it wasn't until my kids became teenagers. And I realized that I too was, you know, in extended adolescence Mm -hmm. and basically a teenager. And my wife was parenting four teenagers instead of, you know, her and I parenting three teenagers together. It, It became very clear that I needed help, you know, and I needed to find the tools to navigate the next season of life. Because I didn't know how to do it.
0: But you were open to it. So just like going to work on that kickflip, you're confronted and you're open to, I'm going to go to work on this thing. So there is some sort of conviction in Jamie that whatever it is that I want to put myself into, I'm going to be fearless and relentless around it. So that is maybe just something core to who you are.
1: Maybe, but I can't really take credit for you the way you put it, because it's not like I sought out help as soon as i noticed there was a problem i denied there was a problem for years and years and years and it was when it wasn't until my marriage was at the edge of a cliff and we were i was in a crisis and my company was struggling that i realized that what i was doing was no longer working Mm. you know crisis and pain coming to the surface was like look you you can no longer keep doing this the way you're doing this you have to change and I didn't know how to do that. Um, but thankfully I was plugged in at a church and I started going to a men's group and I have mentioned this in a few other podcasts, but they started a series called authentic manhood. Mm. Um, it's from like right now media, which is like a Christian, you know, media company, but they started this series. And I basically got the rundown of what it is to be a man. And I'd never heard those things before. And so it was kind of like I was building a foundation for you know, manhood mm-hmm. late, late in life, but better late than never. You yeah. know, I was, I was in my early forties and it was like, you know, eye opening. like, oh, this is what I need to do. And then I also realized that showing up to a men's group of any kind and, you know, or, or connecting with others and, and being more vulnerable and sharing what what's really going on. I have room to take things that maybe i'm either shameful about or that are secrets or the things that i'm just not proud of and kind of bring them out into the open I and mean, this is kind of goes into like a brene brown you know the power of vulnerability yeah um but i realized that others i was giving other people the opportunity to pour into me and help me with some of the things i was struggling with or help me gain perspective if anything if just that and and then I learned the the beauty of that connected, you know, connecting on a deeper level rather than just being on the surface. Like, yeah, yeah the weather's this. Yeah, man, yeah. kids are tough. The social media these days, you know, like the things that everyone's talking about, um, it, I just realized that stuff is the surface. But I'm really looking for true connection now. And I've realized that the power of true connection is, you know, it's, it's the most powerful thing and it's the most yeah. important thing. Yeah. And so now I'm looking for that with the company. I'm looking for that with my coworkers. I'm looking for that with my children, my wife, anyone I come in contact with that it's appropriate, like real connection.
0: Yeah, man. I, it's, um, I'm 38 and, and you know, I feel like I'm continuing to learn and grow. It'll be forever, but that I'm trying to make this transition of, of showing up as Ned you know, um, and not showing up with with expectations on the outcome and still going like, who am I? And how do I show up to this event? Or how do I show up to this thing? And so when you think about being authentic, being a man, having connection, right, to feel connected to somebody, a lot of times I'm like, who am I? Um, but really, when I like myself, the best is when I'm connected, right? Like if I smile, you smile, we're connected right now. So that seems to come a lot through vulnerability, Um, And a lot of times I think men will connect, you know, it's like we had a few beers. So all of a sudden I'm being vulnerable, but then the next day I could just chalk it up to, we'll never talk about it again because we were had a few beers. So how would you encourage men to (sighs) be vulnerable? And it's so tough because like, if we're sitting here chit-chatting, I might just want to show you a funny YouTube I saw because we both know life is kind of messy and heavy. So let's just laugh together because it'll make us feel connected. But what's that balance of... Pausing for us to be connected and maybe share what's going on with our kids, or maybe share what's going on with our marriage. What's that balance for men, especially at our age?
1: I, I mean, I feel like it—it's super sensitive around who do you feel safe talking mm-hmm. to about this level of, you know, intimate or or impactful things in your life, and and making sure that you have someone that you can trust and that you feel like is not going to tell your stuff to other people. You know, I think that feeling safe in a relationship is the first step, finding a relationship that, or someone that you know has been through what you're going through. So therefore they know how difficult it can be. And, and they're, you know, not judging you for whatever it is that you're sharing. I mean, I think that that is probably the first step for, you know, any type of real connection, you know, and, You know, I asked, you know, it usually starts like, how are you doing? What's been going on? Mm -hmm. And you talk about, you know, like you and I, when we first caught up today, it was like, you know, I moved and, you know, we just moved into a new house and we're getting set up and, you know, this is going on with our kids and, you know, and you just kind of shared with me some of the things that you're going through and we're basically starting to get below the surface. Mm -hmm. And then I can share with you some of the things I've been going through. And then as we get more comfortable in that conversation, we feel like this is, we felt it out, it feels safe. Then we can kind of go a few layers deeper, like, oh, this is like actually a real struggle. You know, this has been really tough. And I feel like that's really what it is for me is, is just trying to know that the people that you're talking to can connect and they can, they can identify with what you're going through, um. Cause other than that, you're just telling people, you know, oversharing and that, that's never feels good for anybody. I right. both people, you know, you walk away with a vulnerability hangover and then the <laughs> other person's <laughs> yeah. like, man, I didn't need to know all that, you know?
0: Yeah. So there is this balance of like, we just like talk too much of the surface level, weather, sports, whatever my kids sports to, I overshared with you. So it's finding that in the middle and something you've said, you know, when we first started talking is, Hey, I'm just going to share my experiences. And that's something I've been trying to learn more about is conversations when they are going to have some depth to have empathy where I'm really just engaged. And like you talked about us both moving, that's an easy one where we relate and neither of us are like, well, this is how you should have done it. Or here's an answer. We're not giving each other answers as much as we're just connecting because we both understand the difficulty and the messiness of life. And I think men want that, but I think you're right. You know, just find somebody that's safe that you could trust and just go a little bit below. And then go a little bit because I'll find myself, you know, yesterday I did it. I walked away from a conversation. I'm like, why did I say all those things? And now I'm embarrassed about why I said those things. And I'm like, do I call the person and say something or do I just wait till this weird feeling goes away?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I do that. And that I feel I know exactly what you're saying. And I usually just wait until it goes away. Yeah. It's even
0: more awkward when you're calling like, Hey, yesterday, and then you're just dragging it out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and they may not have even felt that way. It may be just some internal criticism that you're having for yourself. And what I've noticed is, is that it's very important to feel all the feelings of embarrassment around that topic. So that's going to help prevent you from doing, from repeating that same thing in the future. You know, it's basically like you're learning from the discomfort of your choices.
0: Yeah. What I've started doing um, is writing it down. So yeah, that,
1: that, that's write,
0: a, writing down like yesterday I told... I'm sending it out to 100 people in the mail.
1: <laughs> no,
0: no <laughs> keeping it all to myself. Because somebody said to me recently, like, only those who reflect grow. Because your, your, your thoughts are your thoughts. The way you show up is the way you show up. So unless you pause and reflect on yesterday. What I did, though, is because I found myself just writing the things I hated about yesterday. So I've been trying to write down a thing that I'm proud of from yesterday too, just so I don't walk away from that little journaling feeling like such an idiot. Uh, But it is weird to say, hey, I'm really proud yesterday when I did X or Y. Um, It feels a little strange, but anyways. Okay, I'm gonna move to some lighter questions here. Um, And then we'll come back to that. So I wanna bring up, okay, you 15 years old, being a skateboarder, wanting to pursue life, making a decision, I'm gonna move to California from Alabama. You move to California, now fast forward, you're 18 years old, homeless in San Francisco, pursuing a dream, and your mom says, what do you want for your birthday or something like this? And she sends you a sleeping bag. So the question I have is now as a father with teenagers and other fathers listening who have teenagers, how do you support your kid when they have a dream or a pursuit like you did how do you support them but also because here's the the thing i think my kids are pretty comfortable so i don't know that they will pursue a dream as much as they would if they were in some discomfort relationally or whatever so with those kind of two thoughts um how do you help your kid with their dreams but not provide them so much comfort that they actually don't pursue their dreams if that makes
1: sense I mean, you're asking the toughest question of fatherhood. (laughs) I mean, I, I get what you're asking, but, you know, for me, I feel that my role is to love and encourage them throughout the challenges they face. Yeah. Yeah. And so part of that is to support them as well in the ways that are appropriate, given the circumstances. Right it would have been amazing if my parents would have said, Hey, we want to help you find a place in California and we're going to support you. But you know, I didn't ask their blessing when I left. Right. And so they maybe thought if they didn't offer support, I would come home. You know, maybe that was, it was like the prodigal son scenario, you know, but I didn't leave with much. (laughs) The prodigal son story, he left with his inheritance. I didn't leave with my inheritance. I left with a couple hundred bucks
0: Yes. So then, the part of that too is: Would you have, would you have been a part of building what you've built if they would have given you the comforts you needed to like
1: send you off? And I mean, maybe that's hard I mean, to even answer. I mean, a thousand bucks wouldn't have been wouldn't have been too much to get me started. Um, I guess what I'm saying is is that I don't. I I still think I would have fought and clawed because I would have had to. I mean. I don't think they should have rolled out the red carpet in california for me if i play it back sometimes i play it back and i'm like okay if i were my dad yeah how would i have done things differently hmm. and what i would have tried to have done differently was align our goals first off i would say you know you I, I see you love skateboarding what are you trying to do with this you know as a father that's what i would have loved yeah. for him to say to me yeah and i said dad i want to make a life in skateboarding i want to move to california so, and if this, let's just say I'm in 10th grade and he's like, oh, you want to move to California? Okay. Well, there's tons of good colleges in California. I'd have been like, dad, I don't want to go to college. He's like, well, what about if I help support your skateboarding career? If you get good grades and you get into a college mm. and I help support your life in California so you can follow your dreams and go to school. Really? You would do that, dad? Like I play this this story yeah. this conversation yeah. back in my head how it could have gone. My dad didn't really and you know I don't blame him any longer. I'm no I'm no longer bitter at my father, but he didn't ask why I was interested in skateboarding. He didn't care what my interest was yeah. and and why I was so passionate about it and why it was ultimately what I was striving to be a part of, this this life in skateboarding. He didn't choose to understand. Exactly. So so therefore, there was no alignment of goals. His goal was that I go to college and I get a degree so I have more options in life. If he would have said, you know, and, and there's also a thing where I, I, you know, I was so rebellious at this age, I could have given him the middle finger anyway. Right. You know, but if someone, if if he would have cared to have tried to tune in with who I was and what i wanted in life i feel like we could have had some level of connection and we could have made some level of alignment and i just feel like he didn't take the time to do that and i didn't know as a kid how to you know tell him like dad right. will you this. will you support me in california if i go to school and get good grades i was just like how do i skate more that's it school is in the way i I need, I need to skate like 100% of the time i i want to skate and it's not just, I want to, it was like, this is my calling. Like this mm-hmm. is, this is, and, and I, I felt there was business in there too. I felt like it was not just I mean, skateboarding. Yeah. Clearly you, yeah. <clears throat> like I felt like I want to make a life for myself. I don't know if I'm going to be packing boxes. I don't know if I'm, what I'm going to be doing, ma- filming videos. I just, I have a lot, a lot of pa- passion and conviction to carry out this dream. And it would have been amazing to have support in that dream.
0: Yeah. Something you said is if he would have just we started off with understand, but then you said if he would have tuned in, you know, I think parents are becoming more open to it's not graduate from high school, go to college, get a job, buy a house, get married, have a baby. I think people are a little bit more open to that. Um, But as parents, you know, how do we tune into our kids and be okay if it takes a couple years for them to get through it versus... Because, man, I did a podcast recently with a dad whose son is in prison. And he was really sharing how the pain of all that, because his kid's 33 now, the pain of all that helped him disconnect his desires for his son to like live a certain way. Because he realized a lot of times it was if he gets asked in the church parking lot, hey, how's so-and-so? And he's not like, oh, well, he's in his third year of college or whatever that it was. He was kind of making it about him. And so I think if as parents, like what you're saying is if your dad could make it less about him and what he saw for you and just got in tune with you, there would have been a connection. And that's what you and I want with our kids, right? Is a is connection and trust.
1: Yeah, I think a relationship. My relationship. father and I didn't have a relationship. You know, it as soon as I knew he wasn't on board with skating, I just avoided him. Hmm. You know, he basically skateboarding was annoying to him and it was me wasting my time. He didn't see the value in what I was doing and that was hurtful. So I was just like, I don't want to feel that level of rejection on a daily basis. So I was like, if I avoid this person and just hang out with my friends, if I just connected with my mom who was supportive of me, then I could feel pretty good about myself. And I feel like I'm not wasting my life in my teen years, you know, um, but my passion and I when I think back and reflect on it like it was really heavy like I was like so convicted that I have to go to California mm. and that there's no life for me in Alabama like there's no life I mean, everywhere I look there's not a place for me to plug in I'm just here buying time to pursue what I want to pursue but I realize I'm a I'm I'm a, a unique case that's not the mo- that's not common you know and I have kids now and my son's 18 and you know we're planning for his future and trying yeah. to help him go to college um you know and and also you know buying things for him car and you know things like that like I want him to have a car but I'm not buying him such a nice car that he feels overly privileged and never wants to work you know I'm buying right. I'm I'm giving him my hand-me-down 2013 Prius it works it runs well it's not really considered cool you know, it, but it, it gets him where he wants to go. And if he wants to upgrade his car, he's welcome to get a job. And I'll also meet him in the middle and, and help support him. Yeah, I love that. You know, but I want to give him the tools that he needs, but I don't want those. I don't want it to be so nice that he doesn't need to ever replace to it. Yeah. You know, it's like his. And so my wife and I are constantly walking that line of what is good? How much money is is good, is appropriate, and is healthy to give him to help him? And then how much of it is privilege to where we're handicapping him or right. enabling him yeah. to not have to or want to work on his own? And, you know, we, we've we seen that. You know, we basically want to give him enough money to have gas, but not enough money for the rest of the luxuries in life so he, he feels the call to go get a job. If he wants to go get, you know, like whatever, a Supreme hoodie, you know, it's 300 bucks. Like I'm going to go, yeah, maybe for Christmas. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? There's one time a year where you get things that maybe are a little unnecessary, but the rest of the year, I'm not buying you a Supreme hoodie that just shows up on the doorstep. You know, it's something you're going to have to go work for because you're putting value in something like, I'll give you a zero hoodie, you know, no problem. It's free. And, um, but if he wants to buy something that's above and beyond, what we're offering i think I think we offer the basic we yeah. ba- we offer a baseline of support that makes him feel comfortable and taken care of that's what I feel like my role is yep, um, but my role is not to take away all his worries you know and give him everything he wants,
0: yeah, yeah, I'm seeing it in my twelve year old so four daughters and one son and I'm seeing in my 12 year old right now is he'll get bored after like ten minutes of sitting there, you know, like everything's stripped away, and so I'm in this battle of now I just need to say no to him a lot. You know, so I'm like, buddy, the way you're acting, like, look. So I try to have an open conversation, but look at your last week, and now you're upset now because we're not getting popcorn at the movies because I'm trying to toe that line. Wait, of, wait,
1: you take him to the movies and won't let him get popcorn? It was the second time to the movies in the weekend.
0: <laughs> the point was that he got pissed. You're not looking like a, you're not looking
1: like a good dad right now. <laughs> no, I mean, you either need to bring some Ziploc popcorn <laughs> or you need to buy him popcorn.
0: So they have movie passes. <laughs> So they can go to the movies as much as they want. And the point was, he was being a little D-bag about not getting something. So I'm like, okay, no popcorn at the movies. And he got more upset. And I my point was, look, you went to the movies on Friday. It's Sunday. You're going again. And I'm trying to, you need to hear no a little bit more. Because when you hear no, all of a sudden it's this breakdown. And so I'm trying to paint this picture for him. And so last weekend it happened again. And so I was like, all right, tomorrow you and I are working all day together but he showed up and he worked. And at the end of the day, he was like, dad, I get it. I'm super blessed. And I'm really thankful for everything. Cause the point I'm trying to teach him is to have that gratitude. We talked about at the beginning. It's like, this isn't just, you don't just have this because you are owed it. And a lot of times he acts like he's owed it. And I realized as like a, you know, middle-class American, our kids start to feel like they're owed stuff because it's just easy. Come, you know, I didn't have the amount of snacks in my home that as a kid, as my kids do. Um, but yeah, he didn't need the popcorn. Let's be clear about this. <laughs> okay, so what is the role of the father? You've talked about it a couple times, but when you think, what's the role of the father, what comes to mind?
1: To love, nurture, and guide our children. Hmm. And I put love first because I feel like showing up for them, hugging them, loving them, being affectionate, reminding them that I love them. And being very consistently there for them Mm -hmm. in the ways that I know how, and then ask them, how else can I be there for them? I feel like that's what I try and focus on. Um, And then nurturing them, teaching them, guiding them. Um, I think guide is a a good word. It's like mentorship, but not so like one up, one down. It's like, you know. My son's getting ready. You know, he's in his senior year of high school, and he's getting ready to go to college in the fall in Utah. And um, he's going to be away from home. And I, I, have a, I have a to-do list of things that we need to go over before mm. he takes off. You know, how to change a tire. I'm doing. We're doing house projects, and I'm trying to, you know, get him acquainted with different types of power tools. And I know that sounds very stereotypical man stuff, but I feel like. I just want him to know how to hang a photo on the wall. Yeah. I want him to know how to do these things and how it works and how to measure, like how to center it. Like, I know this seems really basic, but I don't want to assume he knows things and just go, oh, he's got it. He'll be fine. You know, I want to make sure that I'm there for him and and show him things that give him confidence and Mm -hmm. have him feel good about who he is.
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, I think those things matter so much, you know, like, let's change a tire together. And what's funny is like the, how we've been talking about connection is sometimes it's a to-do list, right? Like, okay, we got to do all these things. And I find myself in the to-do list, just getting it done. Whereas that's a connection point, right? Every task is a t- tied to some kind of relationship connection. So that moment, I just, of hanging a picture together, of him seeing it work out on some of these things, and then dad struggling to figure it out on some things. And mm-hmm. I think that's really healthy for my son to go, see me go, ah, I actually don't know how to do this. So let's figure it out together. Yeah. Because they're going to come across that stuff throughout their entire life, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's not just give up, it's like you have the ability to learn. And we have the ability to learn together. So, I mean, I think that in between stuff is the most important.
1: And we have the freedom to make mistakes. My son and I hung um, a roof rack in our garage. You know, like that—that gets it goes above the garage uh-huh. door. And um, I messed up the measurement like three times, and we kept having to trim these like vertical racks because the, <laughs> the the rack was going to get hit by the garage yeah. door. And um, we had to cut it like two or three times. But you know, we just kept doing it and kept figuring it out. And, you know, and he would, he would foresee issues that I was going to have that I wouldn't foresee because I was so focused on the weeds of Mm -hmm. one little part of it. And it was cool that he was able to kind of chime in like, Hey, but dad, this won't work because of this, you know, and that problem solving is like critical to life. That's what we do all day. Yeah, absolutely. And so I feel like just that was a, you know, a really medial task, but we were able to learn something and he was able to practice. And I, and I feel like that's really what it comes down to too, is as a dad, I feel like I blow it. Sometimes I try and reflect on, you know, how things could have gone and how I could have approached it differently. And sometimes even ask my kid and my kids, like, how could I have handled that better? Like in your, in your eyes, what, how could I have, how could I have supported you more or how would it have felt better? And sometimes that's what they're asking for is unreasonable. And sometimes it's totally reasonable. And I'm like, oh, okay, point taken. And I think that, you know, point taken and being like, oh, I'm sorry I, you know, raised my voice. Or I'm yeah. sorry yeah. that I, you know, um, and then it, and to also explain why I raised my voice. Like, you know, I'm fearful that you're going to go into the world and not know how to do these things. And so sometimes yeah. sometimes I feel, when I feel fear, I'm incompetent or I'm unreliable or I'm, you know, one of my core fears get evoked. I, I get upset or I get defensive Mm -hmm. or, you know, and to be able, able to explain that and share it, you know, um, I think it's, it's important because it helps what I'm doing is modeling. I'm modeling, I'm modeling humility and I'm not always doing it either. You know, sometimes I'm stuck and I'm right and you know, you're wrong. And sometimes I'll go to bed with that you know, notion, but then I wake up, you know, normally the next day and I'm like, Hey, I'm really sorry that I wasn't more patient with you. Or yeah. I'm sorry that I, you know, came in hot and didn't, you know, and there's one thing I learned in therapy, um, that I was talking about some issues I was having with the kids and the therapist told me, you know, he's like, I heard this one time and it's really helpful and it's connect before correct. Hmm. So like if your kid's on video games, and he's not supposed to be on video games. You know, and that happens a lot in our household. Um, my youngest, he's 13 and he's all about video games. So I'll try and come in and be like, Hey man, how are you doing? How was your day? He's like, Oh, it was good. It was good. Yeah. You know, nothing really exciting happened at school or whatever. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. You're playing games. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm playing games. I was like, cool. Well, are you supposed to be playing games right now? And I'm trying to ask him questions to like engage with him a little bit. And he's like, Oh shoot. Oh, I'm sorry, dad. I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm supposed to, you know, get my homework done yeah. first or whatever. Um, but if I just come in hot, like, what are you doing? Right. Why are you on that? You know, I feel like it's just degrading to him and it's, it's me having a power trip. Um, but, you know, I've done that. and I've made that mistake multiple times. And I realize though how better the results are when I connect with him before I correct him.
0: That's so good. Uh, I, I had this realization last year, you know, I'm very performance based And my wife had this conversation with me. She said, when you walk into the house, we all look busy. (laughs) Because I'm like, hey, what are you doing? Hey, how much sugar have you had? Hey, is your homework done? Because I'm coming in feeling like I've got this role to play. Mm -hmm. And really, everyone just like, you know, like cockroaches scattering. Probably a terrible example, cockroaches for your family. But (laughs) they just scatter, you know. And so she had this conversation like, we all just look busy because we know you're going to hit us up for like what we're doing. That's your struggle. Your struggle is there's value in performance. We want to chill sometimes and we want to feel okay chilling and not have to justify why we're watching a show together or something. So something I'm continuing to, to learn is uh, my role as a dad isn't to walk in and just make sure everybody's like every day is a performance day. That's tough.
1: Yeah. I was raised in a performance based household. Mm -hmm. It was basically if I performed, up to the standard, then I would receive love. And if I didn't, Mm. I would receive neglect or, you know, uh, a a lecture. Mm -hmm. And it was a tough environment for me. And I feel that that is why I worked so hard on my career. And that's why I worked so hard on the company um, for the early years, because I felt like my, my value was the sum total of my productivity, you know, and it wasn't, it's not until making the transition out of, you know, a performance based mindset, which is a a lot had to do with my career, my Mm -hmm. skateboarding career Mm -hmm. and taking identity and something outside of being a professional skateboarder that I started realizing that it was more about connection than it was performance. Like life is more about like how available was I today? for all the people in my life, rather than, you know, how many boxes did I check? And I'm not judging Mm. you by any means, because I, I, I lived there a long, long time. And I spent a lot of time basically, I I still struggle with it. I still struggle with leaving work with unchecked boxes and that feeling of being okay with myself. But it takes self-talk. I have to ask myself, what is the most important thing today? What do I need? that reminder. Yeah. What do I need most right now? And, and what, is really going to, you know, help stabilize my emotions besides checking a bunch of boxes.
0: Yeah, I'm in that transition and I tell myself, nobody cares how much you did today other than you. And you don't seem very happy about (laughs) about, uh, yourself with all that you did. It's like, it didn't really make you feel any better. Um, So definitely something that I'm working through. And that's why, you know, we got connected on, through Brian Sumner and the podcast you did with him. I mean, I've listened to that four or five times. A lot of the things that you spoke about, you made a statement, um, I'm not busy anymore. And and when I, I wrote it down, it's in my journal. I would like to be able to say, I'm not busy anymore. Um, and I think I'm almost there. I'm almost there. But it's I when it's Monday morning, you know, I made this comment to my team recently that I hate holidays on Mondays. I hate them. So can we just make Tuesday look like a Monday, like set our meetings up and everything? And how sick is that? It's, it's a three day weekend now. And I'm like, Mondays are for working and they all tease, they all tease me about it. But that's cause that's what I've done the last, you know, almost 20 years is Mondays to show up and do work. But it's not that same drive that I have to have anymore to feed my family. I could show up with a little bit more of a smile and engage. Uh, so i'm I'm in the process of that
1: yeah and i am surprised that I said it like that because i and it 's possibly true that I did, but <laughs> it's I,
0: possibly I, true it, that i did
1: <laughs> it's, it's i'm I'm practicing not being busy, mm. but some days you know, sometimes i'm busy, some seasons of life are busy, whether I want them to be busy or not um, i'm letting people down if i 'm not approaching it with a hustle mindset, you know, and the hustle the hustle and the busy they they kind of go together. But I definitely plan my days a lot lighter. Mm. I, I'm, I'm on some like intentional focused work yep. and then some intentional connection time with all the people I care about. And I feel like if, before I set that up, I was just at the whim of what I needed to do next. I say needed. It's like <laughs> yeah. what I, what I felt I needed to do next. And I felt like basically my schedule was writing itself and I was not living in a proactive way you know, mindset at Mm -hmm. all. I was basically just reacting to everything around me. And that's what I need to do next is just react. Um, and you know, I, I think Mondays are an important day to set the tone for the week and also to get a lot of things knocked out so I can have a more relaxed rest of the week. That's kind of how I see it now. Um, that's how I try and approach it.
0: That's how I want to approach (sighs) it. But then I find myself at four o'clock on a Friday feeling like, Oh, I got to get this done before five o'clock. So it's like okay, say it, you know, and and I mean, you turned me on last time we we talked. You turned me on to Atomic Habits, and we're actually reading it as a family. Um, my whole team has read it. It's been really great, and so I'm trying to take that, but also make it a habit, like you're saying of of you said practice of being not busy, but make it a habit of setting yourself up to not be busy, mm-hmm. right? Saying oh, I'm going to have habits. I would tend to go from you know, four 30 in the morning until nine o'clock at night. I know everything I'm doing, but what I'm finding is, and it hit me like a rock the other day, my daughter and I, she was struggling with her passion around soccer. And so I went to the soccer field with her at two o'clock on a Wednesday to play some soccer. And as we're walking off the soccer field, she goes, Oh, what do you, you got some more work when we get home? And I was like, no, I'm just going to hang out. And she, she walked into the house and she said, Hey dad, or Hey everybody, dad's not working the rest of the day. (laughs) And I was like, dude, that's a problem. That's a problem if, and you know, we've, we've, we moved, we had a big move. We had all all these things, but I keep thinking next month, what's going to be chill. Right. I even said that to you outside. Yeah. Next week, things are like slowing down when I get back from my trip to California. Um, But unless I make it a habit and make it a practice, it's not going to happen.
1: Amen. I think that, that is, um, that is very true. And I feel like I feel like in order to make something a habit, in order to make it, you know, um, a practice, you have to set an intention and you have to analyze your life and outline your life as far as how your priorities are. I didn't do that for a long time, Mm. you know, and I think that if you don't set your priorities, you have a few options. One, your identity will set them. Two, your habits will set them, or three, someone else will set them. Uh, yeah. You know, that's good. And I feel like I spent so much time there, so much time there until I realized that I really need to kind of take a look at myself and what, who am I and what do I devote my time to? Mm-hmm. I mean, because if you don't know what your identity is, you can just write down what you did in the last week and what you spent your time doing, and that'll tell you who you are. Right. You know, yeah, that
0: is a reflection of, of who you are based on where you spent your time. Yeah.
1: And and your priorities. And you can you know forever I always always say, you know, like family first, you know, but I spent 12 hours at the office every day. Right. You know. That's that's an incongruency. That's that's me saying family first but doing something else, you know, me that I should be saying business first, money first. And and the reality is is that I Took great pride in my work, and I took identity in my skateboarding career, and so I put those things first, and I did that until my forties, until I realized how unhealthy it was that my identity was that I was a skateboarder first, skateboarder or pro skateboarder, either one was unhealthy to be a higher priority than, I mean, and I talk about this on the Sumner podcast and 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 a few others, but. Really, I had an identity crisis in my early 40s, and I discovered that number one, it goes like this. I discovered that I was a pro skateboarder first, an influencer second, a father third, a husband fourth, and a child of God fifth. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, this is just totally upside down. You know, I'm a child of God first. I'm a husband second, Mm -hmm. so then I can be a good father. Yeah. Then I'm a father. Then I'm a skateboarder. And then with all these all the things that I'm doing, if I'm doing these things well, then I'm probably having a better influence on those around me. And the reason I had influencer second is I spent so much time on Instagram, I couldn't not see that that was number two. It's like, how am I influencing people and how's my engagement and how's my relevance? And it was just, it's a tough transition yeah. to go from being in the spotlight to, you know, kind of like like you said, 38-year-olds. That, that's like my... That's my uh, target audience. <laughs> that's my that's my prime audience. If someone's gonna come up to me at the airport and be like, "Oh, dude, I looked up to you when I was a kid," you know, they're around thirty eight. Yeah, they're in their mid thirties and uh, mid to late thirties, and that that's humbling in the sense that you know I'm I'm not relevant to the young kids in skate mm. in the skateboard world, and it's like, well, what am I doing? You know, am I just like living in the past, like Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite? <laughs> you know, and oftentimes I, I think I stayed in Uncle Rico land for like mm. 10 years trying to like, you know, dredge up these highlights, this highlight reel from my past and put them on Instagram so people could celebrate me and me feel like, oh yeah, they still like me, you know. But really what they're doing is they're, they're celebrating their nostalgic childhood yeah. and the impact that I may have had on their childhood... And they're clapping for 10, 15, 20 years ago. They're not clapping for today. And I had to ask myself, what am I doing today that is making my life better or the life's better for the people I care about? And so that's the shift. Um, and I think that that's finding humility. You know, hmm. what what is that? That quote is, um, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less.
0: Mm, Yeah, so good.
1: Yeah. And it it really is just trying to shift my mindset from me to others and how can I be there for others and then finding real true fulfillment in that. In the beginning, I was practicing it and just totally faking it. Like, I'm here. I just want to show up for other people. Yeah. But I was so out of, you know, I wasn't good at it. So I just kept doing it until it started feeling more natural.
0: Mm. So I want to lean into that. So, you know, we don't have to hash out the whole podcast with Brian Sumner. I would really encourage you to go listen to that, especially if you had struggle with your own dad. But that's what led us here. And I think a lot of us men, 35 to 45, we do hit an identity crisis. I would say it's probably less severe than what yours was in the sense that I'm a professional skateboarder. I can't do this forever to the level because of my body, where if I've grown in success at some sort of business, Mm -hmm. I, I struggle with my identity at that same age trying to discover, but it's easier for me to just say, I'm still Ned the insurance business owner because I could do that till I'm 70 years old and get stuck in making that my identity. So you're really confronted with, this is going to change. And so I, I, and I'm not finding fulfillment in it. Although I might not find fulfillment in my insurance, I could keep showing up on Monday and putting 60 hours a week in forever. So you were at this crossroads and and you dug in to find fulfillment in, in family, fatherhood, marriage. So- as dudes are listening to this, because a lot of us are listening to this going like, yeah, I'm not super stoked on my marriage. Yeah, I don't have the relationships with, with my kids that I want. And my career isn't that exciting anymore. How do you start to transition into finding fulfillment in, in embracing fatherhood and marriage and and connection? I feel like it's really about connection that we may be missing.
1: Yeah. Well, if you were like me, I was struggling in every facet of my life, everything in my life was difficult. My relationship with my children were difficult. My relationship with my wife was difficult. Mm-hmm. My relationship with my business and my coworkers was difficult. And I was no longer prospering in a professional skateboarding career. So obviously something had to change. For me, I kind of hit a bottom. You know, you talk, you hear about addicts hitting bottoms, but I hit a bottom where I felt like everything I was doing was no longer working. And I have to reevaluate it. And there's a few things that I did. Um, you know, I mentioned joining a men's group at my church. Mm-hmm. Um, I also got into therapy. And then I also started trying to look for signs that could point me in the direction of gaining insight or understanding what I should do next. Mm-hmm. But really what we need is mentorship. We need someone who's been in a situation that we've been in or that we start looking for things like listening to this fatherhood podcast where you right. may get tips and direction of how to navigate something that you wouldn't have conceived or you wouldn't even have thought about otherwise. And, and But really, you have to feel so much pain that you are willing to open up to the concept of change. Because a lot of times we don't change because we don't want to feel, we don't want to feel the discomfort and awkwardness of that change. That's how I feel anyway.
0: Yeah, no. And I I think that's my, my hope for men is not that they'd feel so much pain, but that they wouldn't allow just a mediocre life or whatever they're using to numb that pain, whether it's, uh, you know, my, my golf every Friday or, you know, the bar every this night uh, is that they wouldn't take that mediocre pain they might be feeling because it might not be as rock bottom as you felt but i want them to go wait my marriage matters like i want to fight for this thing my kids matter i want to fight for this thing and i think that you know when we're struggling with identity like I've, I've just seen you talk about is at the end of it it's it's not so much about who am i but it's about how am i connecting to other people because when i'm connected I feel a part of something. It's not so much about who is Ned, who is Jamie. Um, And I, and I, I want men to feel that because connection and fulfillment is what we're looking for. Um, But it only comes through not letting these other things identify us outside of deep connection with others.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's really just, you know, a, a, um, like taking a, a moral inventory of what are you focused on? What matters to you? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. sometimes I would say things mattered to me, and like I said, I wouldn't spend time in those areas. So I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm. So why wouldn't you spend time in those areas? It's like cause because because I- because I was more committed to other areas and other things that I felt good in. I felt comfortable doing other things, and I felt purpose in those other things. In the in the you know trying to be a good dad or trying to be a better husband was intimidating because I didn't know what to do. Mm. I didn't have the tools to navigate it. Yep. And so it's kind of like when you play a video game and you're like, you know, you're trying to navigate how to get better and beat the different levels. Um, but you just keep doing like, if it's a fighting game, you keep doing the same like leg sweep over and over and over <laughs> yeah. and over and over. And you don't have any other, you don't have any other tools. Mm-hmm. You just know how to do that one thing, but you can only make it so far in the video game doing the one move. So you got to learn the other moves. Yep. You know, and it's the same in skateboarding. Like you can't have a skateboarding career if all you can do is, you know, one trick. Right. You know, you really have to learn other things. So for me, I had to first identify the problem. And the Mm -hmm. problem was that I had a fixed mindset. I didn't have a growth Mm. mindset. I wasn't, wasn't open to new information influencing my outcome. Yeah. I was fixed. I thought that I had experienced enough in life in order to know what I needed to know. And I was going to continue to navigate life without knowing more. And I think that fixed my mindset is the most dangerous, the most dangerous aspect or the most dangerous um, state of mind, like to just embrace that, like, no, I'm, I'm good. I don't need to listen to that podcast. I don't need to read that book. I don't need to hear what that person has to say. But once I realized, and I, you know, I got beaten down by life that I had to humble myself and acknowledge that I needed help, I needed guidance, I needed mentorship, and I needed to learn in order to evolve, then it was like I just opened up this whole new world. Like everywhere I look is something new, mm-hmm. a new bit of information. Or, you know, you can you hear podcasts and you hear, you know, or you start seeking out different types of podcasts. You start seeking out different types of books where you may get insight, you know. I started listening to certain podcasts that people had and just, you know, and, and to be honest, my wife fed me a lot of Mm -hmm. information. She saw the things that I was struggling with and she would tee up podcasts and just text them to me. There would be no like, Hey, I think you should listen to this. Like, Hey, you gotta listen to this. It would just be a podcast that came through my text and I'd be like, huh, she wants me to listen to that. If I really start trying to reflect gain awareness in these areas that she's highlighted several times that I've just neglected to accept and just I've been in denial that I need change and I need I need to grow in these areas if I can start like humbling myself and identifying that I need help in these areas and that maybe the podcast she's teeing up for me are great and maybe that'll be a connecting point for us So what I started doing was just working on myself, not focusing on how to please her. Mm. It was more about like, how can I grow and how can I evolve and how can I become a better version of me? I put in a lot of work and I put in a lot of time trying to grow and evolve and our relationship flourished because of that work.
0: It's so important. I want to bring up two things. One, just now you said, I'm going to listen to the podcast she sent me. Not so that I can say when we're in the you know kitchen later. Uh, well, I listened to the podcast you sent me. It wasn't a task to just get the task done. You did the task. You said to work on yourself, so you made the task relation, relational. So you took it serious, not just checked it off to try and please my wife. Working on me. The other thing you said is when you flipped your your uh, important you know priorities uh, upside down. When you said your wife, you said. I, you know, uh, first God, second wife, because it makes me a good dad. Boom. So you, you said that your marriage was important to be a good father. And I think a lot of times we disconnect the two. Why would you say that your marriage and and honing in on making that an important piece makes you a better father?
1: Well, whether we are willing to admit it or not, the modeling that we're doing on a daily basis is what our children's norm is going to be right. our children's narrative is going to be based on how mother and father treat each other and how they treat me and mm-hmm. and basically it became evident that i was running out of time to make a positive impact in my children's lives and how i treat their mother and how i treat them and i had wasted a lot of time i felt i'd wasted a lot of time being stuck in a fixed mindset And, you know, having an identity that was inappropriate to be a good father, you know, more identity in skateboarding and work than in things that really matter. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, if skateboarding is my number one identity, I lose a leg, like, am I still going to be like taking identity in this thing that I'm no longer able to physically able to do? And that's extreme. But my point is, is that that can be taken away from me, you know, and yeah, you, you know, Tragedies can happen and you can lose loved ones, but being there for your children and, you know, that's our legacy. Our children are our Mm -hmm. legacy and being able to show up for them on a daily basis in order to help them navigate life. The human experience is so hard. Mm -hmm. It is so hard and difficult. And to not have a, a mother and a father that are looking out for you and that are loving you day in and day out and trying to help you on your way just compounds the difficulty. And I know what that feels like because that happened to me. You know, my father did not know how to be there for me. And therefore I, you know, for the most part grew up disconnected from my father from like, I don't know, 10 or 11 onward. And, you know, eventually I sought out a relationship with my father and, and reconnected at the level that was possible. And that is possible. Um, But for the most part, I grew up fatherless in lots of ways, and it was a a giant wound that probably was a big reason why I stayed in such a tough place for so long, because I didn't have modeling of how to navigate and get through that. I didn't have like a lifeline where I could just call someone and be like, hey, dad, I'm struggling with this thing. How do you get through it? Like my dad and I were never close like that. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really... And I, and I also had issues and resentment, so I didn't want his help. You know? Right.
0: But when you realize some of those things in yourself, you went to work on it so that you could show up for your kids in a way that you wanted.
1: For sure. And th- these aren't things that I can go to my father and ask him about because they weren't modeled to me, so I can't expect that he knows how to navigate them. Right. He might be able to navigate and help me with his regrets, You know, which is it's important. Yeah, it's, that, it's helpful. Right. But I think that going... And finding the information, I mean, to say you don't know something in this day and age consistently, there's no excuse yeah, for no it. Excuse you have, we, have, we have all the information we could ever want. It's really about how do, you, how do you listen to that information and what do you do with it? How do you practice it? How do you apply it? And I think that that, for me, is like, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? I mean, someone's telling you like, hey, have you tried this? You're like, oh, no, that's a great idea. But like, how do you implement that? And I think for me, that was atomic habits was a huge Mm -hmm. part of it because it broke down that it's all about systems. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your system.
0: I just want to just point out the marriage one last time is 25 years in marriage. That's incredible. Um, That's such a gift you give to the world. It's a gift you give to your kids. And I just really want people to understand that your marriage, uh, I think, is an opportunity for you as a, as a man to grow because you're going to hit uh conflict. But if I think men really, if we enter into our marriages, the opportunity we have to become the version of ourselves, we like the best. Our marriage is a great opportunity to enter into the struggle. Um, and thank God for awesome wives who, who like stick it out and are willing to like continue to fight for that. I'm so thankful for my wife and something I've heard you say, you know, as we were kind of preparing for the podcast is how much you respected your wife. Um, and, and maybe you could just make a, a quick statement on that. I'm going to ask you a couple last questions, but you know, we've talked about the importance of the, the wife being fir- first and, and how it's important for your kids to see that. But what is it that, that leads you to say, I really respect my wife. And let me just say one last thing. All men feel a certain way about their spouse, right? When I bring up your spouse, hey, how's it going with your spouse? I think a lot of times we'll fall into like, uh, complaining or negative or whatever. But to, to, to first go, I respect my wife. That's a decision you've made.
1: Yeah. And when I think of my wife, I don't think, oh, I think like, God bless her. Yeah. You know, she shows up. And tries to make my day better. Hmm. She tries to make her kids' days better. She invests everything she has in the betterment of our lives. But you've chosen to see that because
0: sometimes men will go to work and they're like, well, I work 12 hours a day or 10 hours a day or whatever. And like, without seeing what she's doing, because right, if I stay home for three days with my kids, especially when they were young, right? You realize very quickly how difficult it is to, to, to
1: be a mom. It's, it's for a sure. lot. I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think that falling in love with my wife again, mm. and for me, that is the prioritization of time where I put time in and spending time with her to see her beauty and to see her process and to see and witness how much work she puts in to be a good mom. I, I can't deny that any longer if i take time to 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 break down what she does and how valuable that work is and and, and see it and right. to and see to it. and I and to that. actually hang around and and try to do what she does i mean like you you mentioned it, it is tough yeah. and i do not want that i don't I, I don't i it's really difficult for me to stay at home i mean it's gotten a lot easier because i've leaned into fatherhood yeah. in a in a real way where i love being around my kids i love being at home um You know, but especially when the kids were really young, it it was a lot. Yeah, you know, Um, but nowadays my kids are teenagers, and I I speak a a teenage language pretty well. Um, But you know, my wife is so good, and a lot of people's wives may be, but you're right. I took the time to to acknowledge her for exactly who she is and what she does. And there are things too that are tough that I don't always love, but I try and communicate communicate those things to her yeah. in real time and how they feel and how I feel. And that's all I can do. I can't judge her. I can't tell her she should do this. I can't tell her she should do that. I just realize that what I can control is to convey how some of the things that she does makes me feel and you know, and open up that conversation. But you know, I feel that the, the switch happened for me when I started investing time in my relationship mm. and, and making it a true priority. Right. And as I did that, I was able to see all the beauty and then also work on myself in order to take extreme ownership for my, for my negative habits mm. and for my patterns of familial dysfunction that were no longer serving me or that weren't serving me or serving my family. You know, that took a really long time. And my wife was at wit's end with like, hey, this is happening right. in your family and this is happening in you and you cannot admit it. And I would, you know, gaslight her about talking about my family negatively or something, you know, rather than getting into therapy and starting to unpack my childhood trauma and my family of origin dysfunction and trying to see how these, these patterns and these maps that I'm using are old and outdated. And this hmm, narrative yeah. is... This narrative is no longer working. So for me, it was, I'll get back to it quickly. It was join a men's group. I got into a 12-step because I had some some issues with addiction. And then I got into therapy. And then I just started to try and connect with people as often as I could. And then I tried to try and absorb information so I could learn and start to gain a better understanding for the new map and the new identity and the new priorities that were inevitably going to make me a better man. And a lot of it, all the writing was on the wall. My wife had already written out, hey, here's what you need to do, Mm. you know, but I didn't want to hear it from her. I wanted to hear it from other places and other sources. But when I saw it was the same thing, then I could go back and listen to her suggestions with more of an open mind because, you know, you heard that phrase, you meet three assholes in a day, chances are you're the asshole. (laughs) Well, I would heard the same advice in several different directions. That's good. My wife did lay into me and was like, "I've been telling you this for years. Now you're finally doing it and you're acting like you're doing it on your own." I'd be like, "No, I'm so thankful that you were telling me that. I'm so sorry she I was planting wasn't the seeds, yeah, yeah, I'm so sorry I wasn't able to see how helpful this would have been for me. Um, so it's just making it's it's taking down that barrier of pride and admitting that you need help and then finding ways to get that help or get that direction or get that insight get that awareness yeah. in order to start making changes. Cause if you can make changes in your life and you can start bettering yourself and bettering your outlook, all of a sudden everything in your life becomes more awesome or some things may not be. And you'll be like, I don't, I no longer need this in my yeah, life. Get it out. This is a distraction.
0: I just love how you entered in, you know, and, and like really got deep into it um, to discover like who you are, who you want to be. How do I make this work, but not just work, so that we can say it work but like really work on you so that you could have a beautiful marriage and you know something else will come and i know you'll go to work on that and this podcast the theme is rebel and create and when i think of of my favorite skateboarder who would emulate rebel and create it's you and you show it in your life right and i think it comes down to for me in viewing you it's you know the desire to be connected and then the desire to be authentic But, you know, rebel and create is to rebel against the status quo, to not accept it, to be willing to go to work, to be willing to fight for something, to then create what it is that you and I want, right? Which leads me to my last question around legacy is, you know, as you look at your kids and you look at this transformation you've made and they've seen you go through in this new season of life, if you think, you know, 20, 30 years from now, when you see your kids at, you know, 45 years old, the same if you're out standing in the street, in the cul-de-sac, peering into their homes, seeing the lives that they're living, what's the legacy you left based on the decisions you're making right now? How do you see them playing out their life?
1: I mean, that's a really big question, but really what I hope they see in me and what I hope they will someday emulate is just to show up, mm-hmm. to show up and and give the people in your life that matter to you, time and attention. I feel like if I can do that, like things will be okay, you know, and obviously intention is a huge part mm-hmm. because it's not just show up and ignore them. It's show up and be intentional about loving them and caring for them and supporting them. You know, I feel like it, that that's it. Show up with an intention of being the best version of yourself for the people you love. And if I can do that, hopefully they can learn to do that as well. And I think that's a great start. And it's a lot more than I had.
0: Hmm. I love it. Well, you know, we've been talking about fatherhood the last hour and you've shared openly your field notes. That's what you have done haven't always done, but it's what you're doing. And you're showing that to your kids that you are going to show up. And uh, thank you for for spending the time. Thank you for the work you continue to do on yourself so that all of us can grow. And I just appreciate, you know, the man you are, the way you show up for your wife, for your kids. Uh, I hope to be that same man, father, husband to my family. Um, so thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your story. I uh, really appreciate uh, the conversation.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for caring.
0: All right. Until next time.
1: All right. Peace.
0: I'm you.